Hi, this is Danielle from the Jaws Curator, and this is episode 147 of Art for Your Ear. This episode is brought to you by SachiArt.com, the world's largest curated online art gallery offering original artwork and limited edition prints by independent artists from around the world. And don't forget, Saatchi's The Other Art Fair is happening next weekend in Los Angeles, October 25th through 28th, and I'm going to be there for a panel talk on the Sunday from 1 until 2 p.m., so come on by. To find out more information, pop over to theotherartfair.com. So my guest today is no stranger to Art for Your Ear. New York-based artist Trey Spiegel is back for his third visit. He is always hilarious to talk to because he has so many good stories. Let's just say he was in New York during the 1980s, and from the sounds of things, he went to all of the good parties. He started out as a designer at Vanity Fair, but eventually became a full-time artist. The catalyst? Hundreds of vintage paint-by-number kits that he inherited after a dear friend of his passed away. In our other two episodes, which I have links to on my site, thejealouscurator.com, right this very minute, we cover Trey's whole backstory from childhood until now. The reason we're chatting today is because he has finally moved full-time to upstate New York and has opened a gorgeous studio-slash-shop um, called Gallery 52. He has a show in there right now called Warf- Warhol Ephemera, and since I am such a huge Warhol fan, I basically take any opportunity I can to hear Trey tell stories about Andy. And now, you get to hear them too. Ready? Calling Trey in upstate New York. Hi, Trey. Hi, Danielle. How's it going? Good. So here's the thing. What? This is the third time I've had you on here. Yeah, that's true. You're like the Alec Baldwin to my SNL. <laughs> I, no one's been on three times? No. Oh, uh, so I'm, I'm a total... Uh, Pod, pod hog. Yeah, pod hog. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I should, you should have like a special jacket or, or hat or something. <laughs> Make Third the podcast time. great again. Right. Okay. Well, then we just have to keep it going because actually the, on SNL, um, you're only in the club until you've hosted five, five times. That's right. There's a five time club. And don't they get a jacket? Yeah, they get a chat. There was a whole thing about it once they did, which was really funny with, I forget who it was. Steve Martin? Is it Steve Martin and Alec Baldwin at the big rivalries between, or no, Tom Hanks? And Tom, yeah, a bunch of them have hosted it more than, uh, more than a few times. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's a certain kind of club, so. Well, right now you're leading. Martha Rich is right behind you, though. Oh, okay. Well, uh, uh, elite. I mean, we're in elite status. Then. Maybe right. maybe it'll just be more like an airline. Like we'll be like um, uh, I'll be a gold. I'll can be gold status, and then when you get to five, you get elite premium yeah. platinum. <laughs> you know what? You get free pretzels. Okay. On me. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So I re-listened to our old episodes, and I will. I'll. You, put... you did re-listen to them? Yeah. Oh my God. Well. <laughs> quickly I just wanted to see what we had talked about and so I'm going to put links up so that people can see that because I have we've covered childhood we've covered all the stuff so people can go and listen to those but today I I want to hear all about well first of all you have your own little gallery and shop now which is the coolest thing in an old gas station I was the last time I think we talked I was in LA 
And I think at the time I was renting the space and waiting to get the mortgage so that I could buy it and then start renovation. Right, so yeah. It was sort of in a last, bit of a holding pattern, and now it's the coolest yeah. thing. Well, last August I bought it, and then I did some renovations. Um, it was originally built as a grain and feed, and in fact, someone who came over the other day, it's right on a creek, and it's quite high in the air, and um, he was looking out the, these I put in these big plate glass windows upstairs. He was looking out and he said, oh, it was a mill. And I said, oh, it was a grain and feed. And he said, no, the re they would not have built this on a creek unless they were using it as a mill. You're right on the creek. So, so in 1924, that was when it was built originally. So it's coming up on almost 100 years. And then in the 50s, it was turned into a gas station. Oh. And the woman across the street, her family owned it. It was the Sinclair. So they raised the height of the um, downstairs space to put in the lift for the cars. Um, it's all glassed in on, on, on the front side. And then there's a big double garage door on the one end. And um, it has enamel, uh, green and white enamel panels because it was the Sinclair, <laughs> it, which, which was the one with the big, um, you know, green dinosaur. Oh my God. So, <laughs> so cool. And so do you have, is your studio upstairs and then a, sh a shop and gallery downstairs or how do you have no, it? No, so it's, so you come in, so downstairs, two thirds of it, um, it's all glassed in. So I frosted the glass on the studio. Mm. So you get this beautiful diffused light to paint by and it has like 13 foot ceiling and oh a big God. garage door. And then it has like a little, it, it has an area to paint, it has an area for art supplies and storage, and then there's like a mini kitchen, so when I have openings, I can kind of entertain and have a place, um, and plus when I'm working there, I can make my lunch. And then you go, then there was a half wall, which I built up into a three-quarter wall, and you go through a door, and there is the shop, ah. which is also has a window on the street. And it was originally, I think, the office for the gas station. So it's about probably 400 square feet, and it has glass display cases and um, a little bathroom. And then you go up the stairs, which used to be more like an attic space. It had never been finished, but it had insulation and wiring. So um, when I redid my deck at my house, which is 10 minutes away, I had old cedar decking, which was 25 years old, and I used that on the walls as barn siding. Oh, um, so and awesome. It, it actually came out really good. If you go to tracespiegel.com and look at Gallery 52, you can see some pictures of, of the exhibit, and you can post links if you put this on um, your blog. Yeah, yeah, I will. But And I'll have more pictures on there, too, soon. So, so it's been, you know, I sold my apartment in New York City, and... Um, How do you feel about like, that? I feel fine about it. Yeah. I mean, I, it's funny because we're, talk, we're going to talk about the Warhol ephemera show, which is what I have up now, but, um, which what, we can talk about this later, but a block away from where I used to live at the Whitney, they're opening a huge retrospective on Warhol called From A to B and Back Again, um, <laughs> which... I would really miss being there for the opening. Not that I can't go back and see it, 
Um, and it's no reason to live in Manhattan because you're a block from the Whitney. But um, it, it, that part is kind of, you know, that's slightly regrettable. But I, you know, I have so much going on up here. And I had two studios before, one in my tiny apartment in the city, which functioned okay, and one upstate, which didn't function that well. So now everything is all in one place. Yeah. Next to the gallery upstairs is a shell. It's shelved out on three sides. It's about 650 square feet. And that is the archive for my work and for some 3000 paint by number paintings, (laughs) as well as bubble wrap and all the kind of stuff that you need, you know, to run a place. So it's the whole thing is like 2000 square feet. And of course, I'm already like, it's full. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And getting 2,000 square feet in Manhattan isn't really like a thing that happens easily anymore. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. It's like even if you're outside the city, I mean, this was a quarter of the cost of my 350 square foot apartment. And it's six times the size. Yeah. And, it's you know, it's interesting because when you're an artist, you're supposed to, well, you're not, you don't have to do anything these days. The rules, I think, have changed a lot. But in the past, you'd have a studio and you'd have a show and you take it down and you made artwork and that was it. And now there are sites that sell prints. There are collaborations that artists do so much, which I have done as well, with different entities um, to promote the work. People sell work solely on Instagram, um, and and having my own space, I, I'm doing other shows, but they're really based on my collections or or my photographs or, or some idea that I want to do, not so much other artists' work because I have so many shows, plus I want to also have two shows every summer of work of mine. It, it won't always be new work, but they'll be more or less geared to country, upstate, something that somebody wants to see. And Mm. it's not a huge space, so you can put a dozen pieces in the show, maybe a little more, and then in the shop you can have a lot more. So when you have an online store, you know, you see the things online, but this is sort of like the physical manifestation of having a shop. Mm -hmm. Have you always wanted to do that, like have a little shopping gallery, or is this like a new dream? You know, there's. I'm really torn. Part of me is excited, and when people come, you know, you like when we're doing this podcast, I can like talk about my work. And then another part of me is like, oh, I don't want to have to deal with the public. (laughs) I'll sell it. So I'm kind of of two minds about it. But I think you know, these days you have to, as we've said before, you have to stand in front of the work a little bit and. People are interested in backstory and process and how something is a certain way and why people, you know, make mm-hmm. certain kinds of work. And so the more people, you know, it's like with anything else, the more you know about something, the more you're kind of interested in it. Yeah, you know? and the more connected you feel. Well, it's kind of cool what you've done there because you've kind of made like um, like a little Trey Spiegel world. Kind of. I mean, you know, it's funny, my friend Rodney Allen Greenblatt, who is an artist who was friends of mine, and he showed at Gracie Mansion, a gallery that I used to work for somewhat in the 80s. And he lives um, upstate in Catskill. I hope I'm getting that right. And he has a, a, a shop. Now, 
Rodney is one of those people where it's really true he's big in Japan because <laughs> his work is like almost like anime and he's created all these characters and um and he's also a painter but it's kind of cartoon based. He went to school um at the same time uh, as you know, Keith Haring and Kenny Scharf. Mm-hmm. Um so he's of that generation. So it's very pop but it's very much his own thing. Um, and I believe his shop is called, uh, I think it's called the, the Rodney shop, but, um, you can look him up online, Rodney Allen Greenblatt, and we can put a link, but he actually has, owns a building and has a shop too, which of course I haven't been to cause I've been in my own shop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I think maybe, you know, this, you know, and, and, you know, getting back to Warhol too, you know, he had the factory and he, you know, did shows and galleries but um you know he was probably one of the first to move out of of work being solely in museums and galleries mm-hmm. um you know by co-opting a Campbell soup can and a Brillo box um you're getting people to look at this work in a different way so i mean his work really goes back to Duchamp and found objects and that sort of thing so i i think you know, it used to be a little, probably would be a little bit frowned upon. And, and even now, probably people think that it's commercial or too commercial and people are purists about paintings and, you know, you have to wait to die to get it on a soapbox <laughs> in a shop. Yeah, but I, I think it's sort of what you were saying, too. Like, I think the rules are changing, you know, yeah, and uh, I think, yeah, artists now you know, you have a little bit more power in your hands than it used to be. You know, you don't need the gallery to sell your work anymore. Artists can sell and they can sell themselves. Like, you know, you've done a really good job of creating a brand around yourself. And like I had Ashley Longshore on too, and she's same thing. She's got this really cool studio that is basically covered in glitter and jewels. And like, she's created this like Ashley Longshore world. And, um, I just I have a little studio. I do a pop up with the, with the Novogratz oh, last yeah. Christmas with Ashley. Oh. Um, and because I was up here, I really wasn't able to do it. So we've never met, but the Novogratz is are they're, they're a big promoter of Ashley's, and um, I mean, talk about an Instagram following no and kidding. and kind of creating your own. I mean, the 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 downside to that is having the art world in quotes. Um, giving you the side eye. Yeah. Um, so you still, you, you still, I mean, you, you don't have to, but for me, I still want to be able to show in galleries and I still want to be able to be in art fairs and um, hopefully be in serious collections so that you don't, I mean, I'm not speaking about Ashley or myself or anybody in particular, but I think you have to kind of skirt a fine line. I was just going to say, it's a little tightrope that you kind of have to walk. And it is, like, that is, uh, you know, it, it's the Wild West a little bit right now. So trying totally. trying to figure out, like, um, you know, and I have a lot of artists ask me, ask me that when I, when I go and do speaking things. Like, you know, should I be going after galleries or should I be selling on Instagram or both or whatever? And it's just like, I don't always have an answer because I think it's so personal. Like, I think it's Well, it depends a lot right. on people's personalities. Yeah. Because you, people can say, like, what should I do? And it's like, I can tell you what you should do, but it, unless you want to do it, you're not going to do it. Yeah. You're going to, you're, you're, you are 
going to do however you want to do. And plenty of people are like, leave me alone. I want to go to my studio. Let somebody else sell it. Yeah. I don't care. I, if I meet a collector, hi, nice to meet you. See you later. You know, some people, you know, everybody just has a different outlook on their relationship with artwork and how that relates to the outside world. Yeah, totally. Um, and for me, it's making a connection. In And I find that a lot of times those unexpected connections are kind of the most interesting. Like when I did my book tour for my book, um, Transform Your Life with Color by Number, um, which Regan Arts published in 2016, Design Within Reach did um, my little book tour. And so they they sponsored it. And the interesting thing about Design Within Reach is, A, it's not a bookstore, and B, there was one thing for sale in Design Within Reach when we did the party, my book. <laughs> they don't sell anything directly out of the store. If you're going to buy something, you buy it online. It's basically a giant showroom. Hmm. So if you were going to buy anything, you, my book was the only thing for sale <laughs> in, this, in this gigantic space. So, you know, people would say, oh, maybe that's counterintuitive, be in a bookstore. Well, there's a lot of other books to compete with, and there's a lot of other everything to compete with. Right. So if you put yourself in a different context, and a lot of time context is the key, um, then you have people look at you kind of in a different way, and you're reaching an audience. Um, that maybe doesn't have such an easy relationship with art. Maybe they're a little nervous about, like, oh, I don't know what, I, is this good art or bad art? Should I like it? Should I buy it? Um, mm -hmm. No, I think and, that's, I think that's, well, you know, that's my whole jam, right, is making art accessible and making people feel like, you know, I had a BFA and I, I, I didn't feel fancy enough to go into some galleries. And uh, you shouldn't feel like that. You should be able to just, go where you want and see the work that you want and look online or go into a gallery or a museum or whatever. But yeah, I think, it, yeah, lots of people do feel sort of uneasy about it. So, well, and also, uh, you know, there are then, there are then moments like this last week with the shredded Banksy at Sotheby's where the whole world kind of takes notice and sees the air being taken out of this, you know, a lot of people say the art world is a scam. The art world is a fantasy. The art world is all made up. Well, you, on some level, you could say that. And a lot of people who have a, a you know strange relationship with art, but you don't sell things for a million dollars, you know, at auction because people made it up. They're, they're, they, yeah. You know. The, the cream kind of floats to the top, and yeah, there's probably a lot of stuff and work that gets sold, you know, Picassos that were not maybe the best Picassos, but because it's a brand, yeah. it sells, or for whatever, you know, Damien Hirst's um, whole take on art, and for that matter, Warhol. I mean, this is a perfect segue to the Warhol. Yeah. Well, that's, okay, so let's, um, now, I... I love, like, the, the, this is one of the things I think I figured out on the first um, podcast was that you actually, like, knew all those guys sort of back in the day in, in New York. And so you have a ton of Warhol stuff. So why did you, did you just have it all hanging around and you wanted to put it out for everybody to see? Or, like, how did you have this idea for this show? It's funny. I've always, um, well, to talk about, to talk about the art world and art snobbery and to talk about that time period, 
you say that, you know, I knew Warhol, but honestly, friends of mine knew Warhol much better. And the outlook, which is hard to believe now, but basically the art world with a capital A kind of looked at Andy like, eh, you're a hack, you're a sellout. And so who he was friends with and gravitated towards was Kenny Scharf and Keith Haring and, um, you know, more specifically Jean-Michel Basquiat. Um, he had a lot of young people working at Interview and at the factory. Um, my friend Benjamin Liu, who I knew when I first came to New York City, was his assistant for four years. Mm-hmm. So um, I saw a lot about what was going on in that world. And also it was one of those times when there were so many parties downtown and there were so many events going on. And you kind of knew you were at a sort of good party if Andy showed up. <laughs> um, the um, nightclub called Area did an installation called Art Area. Every month changed the entire club to a different installation. And this one was, you know, art. So for the art installation, um, you the nightclub wasn't that big, but there was a long hallway which was lined. I think it used to be a department store. So it was lined with basically windows, like five or six windows all the way down the entrance. And then you walked into the main club straight ahead and then you turn left and you went toward the sort of back club. But when you first walked into the art installation, um, and there are photographs that we can pull for the site, but Andy was standing in the window and his art was he stood in the window. (laughs) (laughs) He just stood there and everyone was like, Oh, that guy. <laughs> that was it. Um, and other people did all sorts of other installations, but that was kind of conceptually like the best thing is that that you got Andy Warhol to stand in the window. Oh so, um, and if you had a party and Andy showed up at your party, you thought, oh, this, you know, this, now this is kind of cool. So, um, <laughs> I think everybody uh, who was my age at that time, you know, kind of really idolized Andy and it wasn't from afar because he was right there and he was friends with friends of friends and you'd be at openings. I went to the Jean-Michel Basquiat opening with my friend Anne Magnuson, who's this actress, and actually this is in the show and in the catalog, but um, she was dre- <laughs> she was dressed as this wild kind of hippie and I thought, I don't know why she was dressed that way. And so when I wrote the catalog, I thought she just had dressed up, but she'd come from a performance at BAM. Um, But she really looked dirty hippie. And so at the Basquiat show, when when we walked into the opening, Andy was there in a white leather motorcycle jacket, and I was standing back, and I watched Anne walk towards him. And he, like, had a panicked look and took a step back just for one second. And then he realized it was Anne. Uh, you know, he never had a bodyguard, and Valerie Solana shot him, you know? Yeah. And so it wasn't like today when if somebody famous is at a party, there's like a, there's a VIP area that they're sitting in, or there are, there's a crowd of people and you can't even get near them. It was just like, there's Andy right there. So I have a funny picture of her and him with her holding a bunny ears over his head. Um, <laughs> I don't know if he, she, he knew what she was doing. But, um, I mean, he had a right to be afraid. You know, uh, uh, maybe a couple of years before he died, 
um, which this was actually 85, that was the, was the um, Basquiat, Warhol Basquiat show at Chafrazi, and he died in 87. So huh. um, he was at a book signing and someone yanked his wig off. Um, so he had a little, you know, his, his apprehension was not unfounded. Right. Uh, so this, I, uh, this show kind of came about because I had a lot of Warhol books. The, ma- the kind of the main impetus was, which I've told you the story before, but um, these artists, McDermott and McGough, um, David McDermott and Peter McGough, who are artists that work together and they base all their work um, in the past and they backdate all their paintings. They were really my best friends. And they had just spent a year in Italy. And when they came back, they had this blank memorial poster, which apparently in Italy, when someone dies, they put their name and their birth and their death date, and they have a quote from the Bible. And then all over town, they plaster it all over the street. Um, and, and right when they came back, Andy died. And we were at their studio and had the idea to, to make one for Andy. So I took the blank memorial poster and the cover of the New York Post, which said Andy Warhol dead at 58, and I Xeroxed that, and I put his birth and death dates, and at the top in a circle were praying hands, and I took the praying hands out, and I put Andy's high school yearbook picture, um, and I put a quote from uh, the Bible, um, and... um, which, I, which you can post this online. Mm-hmm. So we printed a thousand of these and um, we, we plastered them on the streets of Manhattan. I sent them to my printer and they sent them back. And then we found, at the time there were companies that would plaster movie posters and posters on the street. I think it was kind of a mafia. So sort of thing, like, <laughs> you know, if you didn't get the right people, things got papered over. And, <laughs> right. um, so anyway, unbeknownst to me, um, some of these posters got was, were given to this curator, Diego Cortez, who in turn gave one or several to Andy's brother. And Andy's brother gave one uh, to the gravestone maker as a template for the grave. So the gravestone is the same size. It has that border. It has the same type as his name. And there's no high school yearbook picture, but there are praying hands. Hmm. Um, and I didn't realize this till a year later when I was at my friend's gallery and this artist, Scott Covert, does grave rubbings. He'll go all over the country, all over the world doing grave rubbings. Um, and he had done a grave rubbing of Andy's grave. And I like, couldn't speak for a minute because I realized what had happened, that I had accidentally designed this gravestone. Um, so so for, for a year, I had you know, prints of those for years. And my friend a few years ago when I was having a show uh, at my gallery in New York, uh, she had just written a book called Thank You, Andy Warhol, which I was in and where I tell that story. So um, midway through the show, we took down part of my work in the front of the gallery and we hung work of artists that were in the book Thank You, Andy Warhol. Mm. Um, So Peter McGough... um, was asked, I asked him if he would put the high school yearbook painting that he did of Andy that Jacqueline Schnabel, um, Jillian Schnabel's ex-wife, owned. And to make a long story short, I found out he, he had told the book author 
that they had designed the poster. And he had been telling people for years that they had designed the poster. So when, of course, this book came out saying where I told the story that I designed the poster, which I did because I was a graphic artist and they're not graphic artists and I didn't work for them, um, they had to make me into a liar, basically, and say, no, he didn't do it. Well, I don't, I don't know how they think they designed it because I, have, I still have the mechanical. I took it apart and I made one for Salvador Dali when Dali died as well. Um, and last year on the anniversary of Warhol's uh, um, death date, they reprinted the poster and put their names on it. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, so the centerpiece of the show kind of was this memorial poster, the grave rubbing, the, that kind of story. And there were lots of other things that I had worked on over the years um, that ended up in the show, too. I, when I was at Vanity Fair, uh, we commissioned Warhol to do at the height of his fame or at the beginning of his fame, uh, a portrait of Prince. Mm-hmm. So I had saved the chromalin from the magazine of that. Um, I have this, you know, amazing little dossier of the 13 most wanted, which Warhol did uh, at Sunabend. It was originally part of the 64 World's Fair. And it was this little dossier that was, on the 13 most wanted man and, it, and it's paper clipped together and underneath there's a little print of uh, one of the 13 most wanted what I realized years later was that it wasn't a print it was actually a silk screen um, a, a wow. small screen that's about 6 by 8 or 7 by 9 um, and there, there's a lot of things there's a Warhol cow wallpaper that I got from my friend Benjamin um, when Andy, when the, when people who worked on Interview would sell ads for the magazine, he would often pay them in in artwork. So Benjamin was showing me one day. There's just piles of work that he had, of <laughs> and there was a signed pink and purple cow. And I was like, oh, I'd really like to buy that. So I, I gave him a hundred dollars. It was he said it was two hundred, and then Andy died. And then, like, six months later, I was like, can I still buy that cow? <sighs> I was like, yeah, sure. So, yeah, it cost me $200. Oh, my God. Uh, that's crazy. So, so there's, a, there's, a lot of, um, there's a lot of bits and pieces and ephemera. I could tell you other stories. But, um, but Are the things it, for sale in the show, or are you just showing them? Well, another thing that I did, too, was I, um, I bought some, some product related to Warhol. So I bought the Andy Warhol coloring book, which mm. you can buy now. Um, and I colored a couple of them in and signed them, and those are framed. Oh, cool. Um, there's a company called Flavor Paper, which, makes, which has the rights to make wallpaper out of Warhol's work. Um, and they're out of Brooklyn. And so I ordered uh, samples of some of their more interesting pieces. So they have like this gold wallpaper with gold glitter Marilyn on it and black on black Marilyn and black on black Elvis. And they have lip Marilyn's lips and flowers. Mm. And they have some of the, you can actually buy a mural of Warhol's paint by number murals. Um, and there are sort of little pieces of that. So I framed those. Um, I framed a few other things, invitations to things, an absolute Warhol ad. Um, and then I bought, you know, 
uh, Campbell's soup cans full of crayons. And um, there's your, both of your books are right there too, Creative Block and um, Your Inner Critic is a Big Jerk. Oh, nice. Thanks. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, so there's a little, there's kind of a little something for everybody. Some of the, the of those early pieces, I had some book uh, projects that I worked on. So there were some book proofs of Marilyn uh, in different color variations, and those are framed. So things sell from, you know, $25, and then there's, few, there's things for $60 and $100. And, you know, the stuff, some of the stuff in the show is thousands of dollars, and um, some of it's not for sale. I was going to uh, say, some of it you would want not want to part with, I'm sure. Well, my friend Mary Hayslip, um, when Warhol came to Houston, took just a pile of things. I thought she only took a few things, but I talked to her the other day and she reminded me everything else she took. So she took 10 pairs of white 60s go-go boots. Um, she, took, <laughs> she took these um, Randy the Tiger tennis shoes, which were kind of knockoffs of Tony the Tiger. Yeah. Um, she took her sewing machine lid. Um, she took a, a, a purse. She took a girdle. Um, she took... A bunch of other things. Anyway, I ended up with the Randy the Tiger tennis shoes. Um, and so those are in a glass case. Um, and on loan from this art critic and his wife, uh, Carla McCormick and Tessa Hughes Freeland, they had a tiny um, Brillo box that he had signed. So I borrowed that. Um, and I have a little flask that came from Warhol's estate auction. Um, I have a signed Polaroid that I took of him um, which was at a nightclub and he was wearing a black turtleneck. So it's just his head floating in <laughs> space. Um, and he signed, just signed Andy. Um, and there's a huge wall of tear sheets of pictures of Andy and covers of newspaper and articles after he died and, um, articles about his estate. Um, and there's a cash for your Warhol poster, which came from Art Basel. I don't know if you were ever in Art Basel when those things would appear on the street. No. They used to have these signs that would say, cash for your Warhol. Um, like, and mine is yellow with black lettering. It has a phone number. And, um, and people wanted them so much. They were nailed high up on telephone poles so people would shimmy up and steal them. How did you uh, get yours? Did you shimmy my, up a pole? I, my friend who lives in Miami, Babette Hirschberger, who's an artist, she sent it to me for my 50th birthday. Oh, um, And actually, cool. it was uh, so nice of her, And but, but they were so much in demand that the guy who was making them now does them as an addition because people <laughs> like them. Um, and they come in all different co color combinations, like every kind of color combination. And I've seen newer ones now that say, um, now accepting Bitcoin. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but was, when he first put them up, was it real? Like, was it, like, was he trying to acquire worlds or I, was it just like a stunt? I, I don't know, really. I think you, you could call the number yeah. and it was a message, recorded message, but it, it, I don't know really because it became another thing. Yeah. And so it almost didn't matter. And it's such a great image cash for your Warhol. Yeah. Um, it's just like such a great pop image. Um, uh, can I ask you one thing? Like, I know, and like this has come up, you know, it always comes up when you hear about Warhol, but the fact that 
kind of looped back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, you know, with the side eye from the art world that, that he had that, like, you know, that he was too commercial, that, you know, he was a graphic designer and now he's using like, uh, you know, soup cans and things that exist already in pop culture. And it doesn't really count. Actually that part, the early work was loved and the work in the seventies was still kind of respected. It was when he made his way into the eighties and he was running interview and he was making the endangered species series. And he, you know, he was, he was expanding on the kind of work that he had done, Yeah, but, but the art world was kind of looked at him like your best work is over and, and you're sort of, and now you're kind of a hack. So, I mean, you know, the, the, the best career move you can make, which, you know, Michael Jackson did and, and Elvis did and, and Andy did too, is, you know, exit at the right time. Right. Um, when he died, like before he died, uh, you know, you could buy his work. It, it wasn't crazy. But like right after he died, there was the MoMA retrospective. They had the Warhol auction, um, which is another um, little story that's in the catalog. Um, there was an estate auction, like a year, like a year after he died, maybe not that really that long. It didn't seem that long afterwards. And it's like a six volume set. And he lived uptown and would walk down Madison Avenue, actually a lot with my friend Benjamin and shop all along the way. And he collected Navajo blankets and Edward Weston photographs and turquoise jewelry and, uh, you know, Russell Wright pottery and, 18th century paintings and and his house was all decorated you'd think it would be some modern pop thing but it was a 19th century townhouse that jed johnson had completely restored and decorated period style um so it was very upper east side but like 100 years ago (laughs) beautiful but and in the dining room under the table were bags and bags full of things that never even been opened that they found when he died um so at the auction, um, there were all these things that, that were, were up for sale that were kind of pricey, and there were about 200 uh, cookie jars. And so everybody that I knew, including myself, was kind of like, you know what, I'm just going to get a cookie jar. Like, I'll just go, I'm going to go to the, I'll just, you know, all the other stuff is really cool and neat, but like, it'd be fun to have a cookie jar. So... I go the day of the cookie jar auction. I had the same conversation with probably two or three people that I run into. And that segment of the auction starts. And the first one, I have it written in my catalog. I could actually go find it, except I'm at my house and it's at the studio. But first lot went for $3,800 or two or four cookie jars. And so you, the, uh, the crowd was like, peas and carrots, and the second lot, same man bought it, thousand. Third lot, same man bought it, thousand. And everyone started to realize he's going to buy them all. He's not letting, and no matter how much anybody bid, he would outbid them into the thousands. There was one lot, which I, I forget which one it was, but he let up, it went up to $10,000 or something, and he let some woman have that one. But he bought all of the other lots. He spent $250,000 on the cookie jars. And he was the owner of this watch company, which actually produced Swatch. Um, And it has been an exhibit. I think he might have since passed. This was 30 years ago. 
Um, but uh, at one point at the Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh, they had the cook. They showed the cookie jars. Um, and in fact, there was a particular one that I wanted, and I worked with this man, Miles Chapman, at Vanity Fair. who was a friend of mine, and he would always go to the 26th Street flea market in Manhattan, and he found he found the same cookie jar that was in the auction and gave it to me. So oh my gosh! That... Like the reminder of the cookie jar, but um, but yeah. So do you have that in your studio or your house? I have had it next to every stove in every house that I lived in. <laughs> is it filled with cookies, Trey? It's, no, it is. It does not have the hat. It has a little hat. It's like a kind of, almost like a clown head with a big smile. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it doesn't have a lid, so it's filled with utensils. Oh, okay. Excellent, excellent reboot. That is so crazy. I wonder, like, so what has he done with the cookie jars? He just shows them? They were they were shown. They're kept as a collection. Like I said, he they're probably part of uh, the company's holdings now or something. Wow. I think he might be dead. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll I have to find. But it was the guy who owned Swatch. Wow, that's uh, so. Crazy. I mentioned it in the catalog, but stupidly, I don't. Do I have a catalog in front of me? I could look it up and find out. But uh, I wonder what Andy thought, like uh, sort of near the end there. Uh, you know, like about their world thinking of him as a hack. Like, I wonder if he cared or if I don't. You know, you know, I, I, I think it. I think he, on some level, he probably did care, but he had his. You know, it was kind of like what we were talking. He had his own thing going. So he bought this old Con Ed station on Thirty Fourth Street. They moved from the factory on Union Square to this big space, which. You entered on one side and it was interview and you entered on, you could enter on the other side or go through to where the studio was. Um, so he had this incredible space, which has now, I think, been torn down, sadly. That's what but I heard, yeah. It was a T-shaped building. So it went from Madison Avenue and then it was between, I believe, 32nd and 33rd. So it went all the way through the block. It was kind of an amazing building. You can see pictures online of it. But, um, you know, he had his own thing going on. He was doing all the portraits. He was making paintings toward the end. He was doing the Last Supper paintings. Um, he did, you know, he did some really amazing work. I mean, the, the oxidation paintings, which are called the piss paintings, are, are kind of amazing. The shadow paintings. He worked on larger and larger scale pieces. Um, and he did, you know, he had a real strong work ethic. He grew up in a, a middle class uh, family in Pittsburgh, and he really went to work every day. I mean, he really, he didn't just, like, sit around and chit-chat. They right. stopped for lunch, but lunch would be someone would come, and he would interview them, and it would end up in the magazine, and then at the end of the day, he would go to a party and an opening and another party and a dinner and an opening, and, um, yeah. I mean, you know, he, he really worked, um, and, you know, he used to always say, like my friend Benjamin said, that they were in a cab once going by uh, a hospital. And he said, oh, if I ever go in there again, I'm never coming out. Um, and oh it was gosh. true. Yeah, he had, a gall he had routine kind of gallbladder surgery. And uh, the night nurse was in his room and he, he died in his sleep. I know. I, you know, it's so funny because for the, so, I mean, I am. I love Warhol. He was always my favorite, you know, like in art history, like that was my, 
thing was Warhol, Warhol, Warhol. And I don't know, maybe, you know, with me becoming a graphic designer and an artist, like, you know, there's something, there's a little connection there. But um, a couple of years ago, I was like, I don't even know how he died. You know, and, and you figure it would have been something super dramatic or, you know, whatever. And it's like gallbladder surgery. Well, I think it might have, part of the gallbladder surgery might have had some complications from when he was shot. Okay. Uh, and because he had a lot of internal injuries. Um, how, how many years was it between being shot and dying? Uh, 20. Yeah. Something like that. He was shot in 68. He was shot right before Robert Kennedy. Okay. Like just a few days before Robert Kennedy. So his attempted assassination was kind of completely overshadowed because right. you know, a few days later it was, it was um, you know, RFK. Um, so, yeah, I think it was, it was 68 and you died in 87. Wow. Um, well, so I saw the thing you posted the other day where you're like, it would have been his 90th birthday. And it's like, weird. Yeah, he would have been 90 in August. Yeah. Um, so he might not have been here anyway. I mean, who knows? Um, I just, I, you know, we, we were messaging about this on Facebook, but I was like, I would, wouldn't it have been so cool if I would have loved to see what he would have done with Instagram? Well, he invented, like I said in that, when we were talking, he invented Instagram. I mean, that was, yeah. <laughs> that's what his Polaroids were, you know? He, he um, in fact, I just bought this book of like all of his Polaroids from the early, early days that has, there's a picture of Grace Jones on the cover of it. Um, but he, um, yeah, he, he, pre, he anticipated social media. Um, he, he tape recorded people. Uh, all, he would take a tape recorder out and tape record people. He, you know, by doing interview, uh, you know, he invented the cult of celebrity. I mean, yeah. People, movie stars were famous, but other people weren't famous. You know, they were, you know, architects weren't famous and models weren't famous. They were models. They weren't, you know, and he created his own superstars. So, I mean, in that way, he really, I mean, I'm not the only person to ever say this. Everybody's, there's been a million things written about it, but he really anticipated all of these things. So, um, and that's how I kind of used Instagram myself. Um, you take a lot of pictures, and when you were shooting Polaroid, you were really careful because it cost you a dollar a shot, you know, um, yeah. to take that picture. So you were kind of careful of what you took the picture of. Um, and it's the same on Instagram. It's like it doesn't cost you anything, but you can't post a million pictures. So you really edit them and crop yeah. them yeah. and post them and, you know, make sure that they're kind of seen in the best light. Oh, I have to tell you, there's this company um, called ZNO. And you can print uh, a booklet, small booklet, of your Instagram. And it just automatically downloads all the pictures in with all the dates and hashtags and information all in it. And you can change the cover and you can delete pictures. Um, and it's like 12 or $15 for a 100-page book. What? what? Like the letter Z-N-O? Z-N-O, yeah. If you go to Z-N-O.com. I've done 11 volumes. I'm about to do a bunch more. I mean, for my own personal Instagram, I'm up to about, I'll be up to 40 volumes. So I got to kind of get on it. Um, but, you know, I started thinking, you know, people are taking all these pictures and posting all these pictures on Instagram. They never print them out. No. 
they drop dead and the Instagram account like sits there and they never get printed. And, you know, maybe it's fine. Maybe we don't need a billion pictures. But those photographs that I have from the 80s of Polaroids and pictures that I took, they physically exist in negatives and Polaroids and prints. Um, so if you don't print these things out, they don't. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you know, and it is is neat, like, the fact that you can have this ephemera show, right? Like, if it'll be, like, you kind of want to, in this digital age, I mean, that's a huge reason why I kind of started making art again and why I wanted to write books is because my career had been in um, web design. And my whole portfolio just existed in the floaty... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, if a server goes down, my entire life's work didn't exist. You if know, you don't pay the, if you don't pay the people to like keep your hosting your site or to yeah. pay for your name or for whatever, it's gone, baby. All of it's gone. Yeah. Then. And so oh. it is really neat. Like I, to save this stuff and to have, like, I feel really lucky, like with Jealous Curator in that, you know, I've gotten some really neat things from some really cool people who I believe one day will be, you know maybe once they're dead, super famous. And I have like all of these things from, you know, the beginning. And yeah, you know, it's funny. I've never even thought about printing out my Instagrams, but in a book format is even more designy and cool. It's actually really great. I like it because you come up with the, you know, as a designer, you'll appreciate the fact that all of these spreads are created arbitrarily and they're really interesting. Right. Um, because sometimes they're related. When I go to art fairs or a museum that I've never been to, my, you know, MO is to just take pictures of everything I like as and go to the museum really quickly and just take pictures of everything that I like. And then once I get and I also take a picture of the tag, so if I don't know who it is, right. what year it is, most of the time, you know, if if it's the things that I like and it's a museum, it's work that I know, but a lot of times not. Um, and so all of those, um, obviously not the tags, but all of those images that I've taken from going to Art Basel, going to different fairs, going to museums all over, those suddenly end up in these booklets and it's kind of great. You know, you're like, oh wow, there's that, you know, piece that I really like. Well, it's a cool little snapshot of your brain too. Well, you, you look at them and you're like, okay, I didn't think about why I like this. I just took a picture of it because I liked it. Right. And I didn't, and it, and so on some level, that's kind of valuable because you look at all of this stuff together and you're like, uh, like it or not, this is my sensibility. Yeah. Well, see, that's <laughs> I, like my blog. I scroll through my blog and I'm like, oh my God, this is all so good. <laughs> because it's, <laughs> it's everything that I love, right? So of course I think everything in there is, you know, perfection because it's exactly my taste yeah well that's the that is you know that's part of living in this digital age and everyone is an editor and a curator and a you know a writer and whatever um and it also hones all of your skills for those sorts of things too you know i'm you know we're lucky because we have these other skills from from you know professional life that actually aid our our work yeah. and the dissemination of the work and then also being able to kind of get it out into the world in a way that that makes sense. Um, and so, you know, having this kind of private gallery to show my own work 
and then being able to curate these other shows and like, okay, what do I want to do? Um, after the Warhol show, well, well, first of all, the Warhol show, the closing party is a Halloween party. I just saw that. I have that on my list to ask you because that sounds amazing. Tom is your favorite dead celebrity. Oh, my God. Um, do you know who you're going to be? Duh. Or can you not? Oh, you're going to be Warhol. <laughs> yeah, got it. Do you have the duh. wig? Do you already have the wig? I do have a wig that I've worn in the past. And there's a, there's a Polaroid and a painting that Andy did with a skull on top of his head, a rubber skull on top of his head. So I plan on fixing this rubber skull on top of my head. Oh, my um, God. And I have a striped T-shirt with a Warhol dollar sign on it. And it'll probably be cool enough to wear a leather jacket, which he often did. Yeah. So this uh, is October 27th, right? October 27th. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll see. Coming as your favorite dead celebrity. Um, I did a party like that once before, and it was really fun. It was really fun. Oh, that's uh, awesome. I know we're going to have a Liz Taylor and a Freddie Mercury. And uh, I tried to talk my friend into being Halston, but I don't know if he's going to go for that. <laughs> doesn't have to be a Warhol celebrity. It could be anybody. Um, but there's so many in the Warhol uh, you know, circle that aren't around anymore. So. Yeah. Marilyn. Marilyn's right there. Marilyn, yeah. or even obscure as, as some of his superstars like Hollywood Lawn. Um, you know, you could come as Viva or... If, you know, there's so many uh, obscure ones that you may have to carry some kind of prop to, for people. To what was his? Um, did he have a name when he dressed in drag? He, you know, he only did that drag thing for those photographs. That right. Did. But he never but, had like a. He didn't like name her or anything, did he? For those photographs. I don't think so, but no. you know, people would call him uh, Drella. Oh, okay. Which was. Um, which was his both sides of his personality, which was Dracula and Cinderella combined. Oh my God! See, there's a costume right there. Oh my gosh! Dracula. And then what's the um? So what's the show after? The show after is actually not a show. It's going to be a pop up, and it's going to be local artists' work. Uh, it's called Homemade for the Holidays. So it's going to be like a holiday pop-up in the gallery with more artwork. And in the shop, there'll be more kind of lower-priced stuff. There's also going to be a couple of friends of mine uh, have a great eye for vintage stuff. So we're going to have some vintage things. Um, there's a woodworker, my friend Judy Ross, who makes pillows. Um, Karen Flood, who's an artist. Um, the woodworking guy uh, who's local, this guy called Chima. Um, myself, uh, Matthew Sporzinski, who is a master paper maker who teaches paper art, um, at SBA. Mm. Um, and he had makes these like paper mache, like squirrel heads. And <laughs> oh my God. He can make anything on paper. It's really amazing. Um, and so do you know all these people, like, are these people all now living in upstate New York too, or... Have you just met these people since you've gotten up there, or, or what? These people, well, some of them I met since I've been up here. Some I've known for a while. Um, there's a lot of artisans, and there's a lot of people who've made the transition to live upstate because um, it's so easy to get into the city. Where I am, you have to drive or take a bus, 
But like in Hudson, on the other side of the Hudson River, there's the train runs over there. So a lot of people can just hop on the train and then end up in the city. Right. Um, And I think, you know, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I think it's like people, different kinds of people. Like, so there are kids in their 20s and, and even in their 30s who don't don't have the opportunity to do what they want to do because it's it's not affordable to do right in Brooklyn or even in the outer reaches of Brooklyn or Jersey City or whatever so um you know if they want to have an organic restaurant or if they want to make cider or you know even if you're an artist and you want to paint and have space and time and have a you know a nice kind of place to live um a lot of people are priced out of Manhattan i mean you know, Martha Rich lives in Philadelphia. It's not that far from yeah. from New York City, and um, and goes in to teach and you know commutes. Yeah, I, just I think it's like an hour and a half on the train or something. Yeah, it's really close. Yeah. Some people actually live in Philly and work in Manhattan. What? Oh no, I couldn't do that. Yeah, a friend of mine who used to do the opposite. They lived in Manhattan and worked in Philly when they worked for Anthropology. Oh. Um, I almost asked Martha Rich to be part of the show, but I kind of promoted it as like local artists and I couldn't exactly, couldn't exactly call her a local artist, but I would love to have some of her word balloon pieces. Yeah. Did you see that show she's got in LA right now? I think it's, she said it's practically sold out. Yeah. Oh, I'm not surprised. They started at 25 bucks. I think she's got a razor price. Yeah, I know. Um, but, but after nice I buy a whole bunch work. of them. Pardon? She can raise her prices after I bunch buy a whole bunch of those. Well, oh, that's what I was going to say. I was actually thinking about writing her and just saying, like, do you have any? Because I'd love to put some in the show um, and have somebody sue me if they say, hey, she's not local. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, they're, um, so, so, she, they're so good. She illustrated your book, you know, so there it is right there. Right. Um, maybe she has four or five. Plus, every once in a while, she does some limited edition T-shirts and stuff. That would be kind of cool, too. Yeah. She's just uh, so fun and good. Like, you know, and, and she is, I've, you know, said to her, dude, put your prices up. But her whole thing, she really wants art to be accessible and had by all. And so she's, you know, she doesn't put her prices way up. I think no, she, it's fine. I mean, I think it's great. She sells a lot of work and, you know, she could slowly inch it up or leave it that, you know, I, I mean, I think that's part of it. You know, you can, your prices sometimes are why people don't buy things. It's like, oh, I can't afford that. And it's like, okay, well, this took a really long time to make, so yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't give it away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, I know. Why you sell, that's why you sell prints, you know, a lot of times. But um, but there's, you know, there's more Warhol, there's, uh, there's always more Warhol stuff happening. But um, that retrospective, you know, like that I mentioned before, that's opening at the Whitney um, in the first week of November. Do you know how long it runs? It runs through March. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, and it's, I think it's one of the biggest retrospectives of his ever. Um, he had a show at the Whitney in the 70s, um, and he famously papered the walls with the cow wallpaper um, <laughs> and hung the work on top of that, which was amazing. But I think there's, according to the press release that I read, I think there's some 200 pieces that have never been seen before. So I'm sure they worked really closely with the Warhol Foundation. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, because he made, like, Christmas gifts for people that were, that never were really shown, that my ex, that he used to give to my ex all the time. So he would make a, a silkscreen scarf or a 
a, a silkscreen print, and it would just go out as the Christmas gift. Hmm. Uh, and it was never for sale. It's, it's you know, it's, it's in his catalog raisonné, and it's in hmm. the print books, but it was never shown or sold. Like the cow wallpaper, which I have, that was never sold. Um, and um, not many of them were signed. Um, so they don't really know how many exist, but um, it was never sold as a piece of artwork. Right. Um, and you've got that in the show, but there's no way you're selling that. I don't want to sell that one. No. Actually, my other ex I bought uh, when we were together, I bought a pink and purple cow uh, for him, and that's in the show too. Um, which a couple years after Warhol died, I bought it for $600 on eBay. Wow. I know. You did, can still buy stuff like then. Did uh, people not know what they had? or I think they did, but I think it hadn't quite reached. I mean, that was a pretty good price, but, you know, now it's, it's you know, 10, 15 times yeah. worse. Yeah. It would be so nice to just be, to like, you know, if you could just find out what Andy would think of it all. Like, what he must be thinking now, you know, just like, wahaha. Like, it's just... I, yeah, it was so funny. He's so far removed from so much of this stuff that, you know, when when I see these things kind of happening, I always hear, because he had this very, it was a very kind of quiet sort of voice. He was very funny, but he would be always like, like if Fred Hughes ran the war, ran the factory, you know, and he'd be like, well, gee, Fred, wow, that's really a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> like something sold for $70 million. He'd be like, oh, wow, that's really, I wish... Wish I was selling that. Gee, that's a lot of money. <laughs> oh my so he had kind of a, a sort of naive childlike way of talking, but at the same time, he could be very funny and very, very bitchy. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, just be, yeah, it's just so interesting that, you know, uh, wouldn't it be great just to make that money and still be alive? Well, he made, you know, in auction now, they have like the top producers uh, that sell at auction every year. And he's always in the top 10. Um, Richter is, um, Basquiat, obviously Picasso. Um, you think of one series that Warhol did. So he did 10 different Marilyns that were 40 by 40 on paper, 10, 10 different colors. And that was a set of 10. And he did 250 of those. And a few years ago, the set of 10 was worth a million dollars. I have a feeling it's more than that now. Mm -hmm. So you think even if it was worth that, a million dollars, that's a quarter of a billion dollars for one series. Oh, my God. That's a quarter of a billion dollars for one series of friends. Um, and he did a lot of the series that he did. It sounds like a, a lot to do a series of 250, um, but not really, yeah. you know, it's not, yeah. not 10,000. It's, you know, it's it's still a manageable amount. And it was silkscreen, you know, so it was produced. Right. And, you know, we had to sign them all. But, um, but yeah, that's the output. And I think that's why people at the time in the 80s were like, this work's never going to be worth that much money. He's cranking out these silkscreens. They're just never going to be worth that. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, it's all so interesting. I, I'm so glad that you. Well, I'm so glad that you did the show, but I'm so excited for you too, just to have this space for you and you know the 
calm and then but then to have the the fun of being able to put these shows together and um do you find that you have more time are you making more art or now are you so busy with like all these other things the latter oh really (laughs) well lately the latter because um I, i this was kind of the growing pains of getting the business open and running this summer and in the summer, I was only open Saturday, Sunday. Now I'm only open Saturday, 12 to 5. Um, but, yeah, I, um, I I must say, it, there's a lot of distraction that comes along with this stuff. A lot of um, sort of operational. I was going to say, like, admin type stuff. Yeah, that's, that I don't really have an ass- I I have two assistants that I work with. They're not here. Um, one I work with primarily on digital stuff, and the other one um, is in Brooklyn, but comes up and will help me stretch paintings and work on specific projects. But I, I haven't found a local assistant yet um, that can really help me um, get to the next level. But, you know, I, it's really just been a process. Like, I thought, like, oh, sell your apartment and buy this space, you know, two years later. right. Um, all this stuff takes time. So I've got lots of plans to do stuff. And hopefully I'm not one of those people who drops dead of a heart attack. No, <laughs> no. And, and leaves, the, <laughs> leaves everything a mess. So um, I've been talking with, the, there's a Bethel Woods Center for the Arts is the place with the home of Woodstock. Um, not the city, but the site of the concert. Um, and they are actually looking for teaching artists, um, and they have a really interesting program. They have a gallery there now with the Peter Mac show. Um, but they're 10 minutes from my studio, really close by. Um, and next year is the 50th anniversary of Woodstock. Um, and there are lots of other things that were going on. There's a town nearby called Calicoon, which just just had an art walk. Um, and this uh, friend of mine has a shop called Carcula where he sells very, very high-end furniture, mostly to designers in Manhattan. But <laughs> uh, he had an exhibit of my uh, work, which is still up through the end of the month. So there's, you know, there's a lot of things going on up here. And um, then there's also just the process of just kind of promoting the place and letting people know that you're there because I've been there for two years, but it's been a little stealth. I haven't exactly been open public right um, and it's not really about getting like tons of people in there it's more about getting people who are interested um and creating like a little you know it's, it's, I, it's all the people that i know upstate i met in my friend's shops yeah that's, yeah well that's, that's why it sounds like this christmas show sounds so nice right just like um all the people kind of coming out of the woodwork of all this <laughs> woodwork um right. uh, you know right. and and coming out of the wood yeah that's right and it's just sort of it's so cool and yeah and just a shocking amount of talent is, is all up there yeah it's so close to the city well there's a you know there's an awful lot of talent all over the place and there yeah. are artists kind of everywhere and sort of everybody's vying for attention so you have to kind of you know, like my friend who wanted to, who showed this work during the Calicoon Art Walk, for me, a lot of times it's context. You know, I'm showing in this beautiful high-end shop, so everything already looks fantastic. So you put your work in there, and it already looks better. Um, <laughs> as opposed to, you know, you're showing in the pizzeria, not that there's anything wrong with it, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, 
you're 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 next to the FICA plant. You know? Right, right, right. <laughs> you're beside the bathroom door. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, one other Warhol thing I was going to mention. I don't know. Did you hear about this? Um, there's a book out now called Contact Warhol: mm-hmm. Photography Without End. So um, the Stanford University um, has been given the archive or been given the scans of the archives uh, by the Warhol Foundation of 130,000 photographs that Andy took. Oh, my word. And most of them have never been seen. And then there are markings on about 3,600 contact sheets. Um, So he only printed about 20% of those photographs that he took, which ended up in books and shows and stuff. So... um, there, there's just a ton of images, and we, and I can send you the link to that um, for the book, which is out a year ahead, I guess, of of when this stuff is. But you can also see the stuff online. And uh, someone just sent me the link to something, which is a contact sheet of a friend of mine called John Sex, um, and he and I, uh, he was a performer, and who died in the '80s of AIDS. But um, we, when we first went to L.A., um, he was asked by interview to interview Angeline, who is the woman who drives around in the pink Corvette. Oh, yeah, yeah. All pink and was, had herself on plastered on billboards everywhere. So he was such a nice guy. He was like, oh, do you want to interview her with me? So, um, so we interviewed Angeline. It was the only time that I was actually in print in interview. Um, but in the archives, I, I used to do this show called Bad Boy. Um, which was a kind of male burlesque show, which we won't go into. But uh, I had this logo that I designed. It was like a blam with the words bad boy in it, which actually the title came from an Eric Fischel painting. Um, But there are photographs that Andy took, a whole contact sheet of uh, John, many of which he's wearing my bad boy T-shirt. Wow. Um, and there's also a Quang Chi photograph, uh, Sen Quang Chi, who's not with us anymore either, of Keith Haring wearing the same shirt. But um, I had never seen a picture of uh, of John wearing that. So in these archives are like just billions of pictures that he took that never saw the light of day. Wow, so neat. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting uh, 130,000 photographs. Yeah, oh my word. And you know, you think you, your aunt like leaves you a mess, like, oh, I've got to like deal with all of those beanie babies and all yeah. of her mess. You're like, uh, try to have 130,000 photographs or how about 200 boxes full of uh, of time capsules that he left or, you know. Or hundreds of cookie jars. Just, yeah, or hundreds of cookie jars. Make sure you set yourself up a foundation. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might have to do that, FYI. I, uh, it's, in, it's, it's in the works, and the more I hear about people dropping dead at, at an early age, I think, okay, I better do this. You just never know. Oh, don't even talk about it. Oh, uh, I can't talk, you know. I know, I know. I know. Uh, uh, um, Trey? What? You are always hilariously interesting and I I mean I know you're like no I wasn't friends with him but you know he was at the parties to me it's just like hearing like I could just sit and like it's like tell me more I just love all these stories because to me he's not even a real person do you know what I mean like I, it's Andy it Warhol seems it's like, like it's weird it seems like that and I think it's because of the way celebrity is treated now it's like 
And and this is maybe not the case in Los Angeles where you go to the grocery store and there's Jennifer Aniston buying an apple or whatever. Right. <laughs> um, or you're walking down the street and there's Jerry Seinfeld because he lives two blocks away. I mean, people always run into celebrities, but it seems more and more that they're kind of behind gated, you know, and for lots of reasons, they want to be protected and, you know, they drive into their house in their, in their armored SUV and, and get out when nobody can see them. Right. Um, but yeah, in the eighties, you li- you know, li- living in Manhattan, it was like Greta Garbo was alive and, and Diana Vreeland was there and Truman Capote and Andy Warhol and like all these people who now are these legendary types. Yeah, just like icons. Uh, yeah, but I think that's just kind of the way the world works, too. You can imagine, like, being in Hollywood in the 40s or whatever, where people were really available. Right, you know? yeah. Like, they were just, like, kind of everywhere. You'd see stars. Um, but somebody like Warhol, you know, I, you, I, I, I think you can kind of act like, oh, it was no big deal he was around. Even then, it was a big deal, you know? It was, yeah an Andy sighting or if you were at a party with him or if you had a conversation with him. Um, I had these photographs that I took. Uh, my Julian Schnabel had a birthday party for David McDermott, who's one of the people with the memorial poster thing. Mm-hmm. And there were about 10 of us at Julian's uh, apartment slash uh, studio. His apartment was upstairs and the studio was downstairs. And um, Andy was there with this guy, Sam Bolton, who was a very cute young boy who was always, he always had cute young boys around. <laughs> um, and I took a photograph of like the group together. Uh, did I get in the picture? No, because I never thought to do that then. Um, and there, I have to look in my negatives, but there is a photograph of Andy talking to this art critic, Edit Diak, in Julian's studio. And I'm sitting on a stool looking at a painting kind of nearby, and I think it's the only time we were ever photographed together, um, kind of accidentally. Um, but it was even then a big deal, you know? It was, yeah. And, um, and he did show up, you know, a lot, and he was friends with a lot of people that I know much better than me, you know, people right. who worked with him and people who were really around him all the time. But even when you had a conversation he was very approachable and very easy to talk to. Um, and, you know, I was in my 20s. So, you know, if you're not even a, a little bit cute when you're in your 20s, you're not. <laughs> so, you were I, very cute. You still are. But some of the, I love when you post on Facebook, some of you are like, it was your. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank my you God. But I, I said that out loud so I can put one in the post. Looking back, and I would think like, you're 25 years old, like, <laughs> you know, a, a, a cute gay boy who's 25 years old, you know, I would have talked to me too. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it, it, it seems like those kinds of, you sometimes now see them, like if you go to Art Basel, I was at Soho House and got in the elevator, there was like two of us and or three of us and one of them was Damien Hurst and the elevator were really small and you're like right there next to them. And, that's Did you say anything? Things. What do you say? I yeah, mean, exactly. You're going up. It's literally you're going from floor one to two. Right. To where the <laughs> yeah, what are you going to say? There's not a lot to say. You're just like, there he is, there right he, there. Yeah, <laughs> just poke him. Yep, <laughs> there he, there he is. is. <laughs> um, 
And sometimes that's enough. You know, you just have a sighting and see somebody. Um, but yeah, Andy was um, Andy was always one that kind of transcended celebrities. You know, it's sort of like there's some of those people now who like Cher or RuPaul or somebody who's like even celebrities are like, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, I would have I would have loved it, and I I feel like. you know, I feel like that with lots of artists, I, you know, now, like, I feel like, I mean, we're all going to be gone one day, but, like, I, I just, there's some people right now that I'm like, ooh, you're going to be the, you know, that Warhol or that whatever. I, that's partly why I wrote this new book, you know, the, um, about all these women artists. I know that you're very offended that I was so sexist and only included women. I make jokes. I love making jokes about it. So what, what Danielle's talking about is on her Facebook page, she will post, uh, the, the book is called uh, an important, a, a very a big, important. Yeah, a big important art book, Now with Women. Now with Women. Yeah. And so I will always make some snarky remark like, yeah, thanks, or yeah. You know, <laughs> missing a few things, or, uh, you know, as though, as though I was excluded for some bizarre reason. <laughs> well, you did that the other day, and I thought, I, like, because it's on my personal page, so it's just all my friends and family and stuff. And I was like, I wonder. I just wanted to wait a minute and see if anybody was like, "Look, you jerk!" Blah blah. Because I, I was like, I wonder if people like don't know you. They're not going to know you're joking. Because you know, people say stupid stuff online, and I was like, Oh, Trey. So I always have to put the super laughing face so that people know that I know that it you're joking. Doesn't have a picture of a man, so maybe I think my picture now says impeach Trump. So maybe yeah, they don't know Trey could be a man or a woman. Could be, could be. Maybe they don't know. Oh <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I know. So far, oh. no one's scolded me, and I have forgiven you. Oh, thank you. I put you in creative block. And there's a story from you in uh, Big Jerk, too. Uh, I know. So, I know. I'm selling both of them. Yeah, there you go. But you're, are you boycotting the women book because you're not in it? Well. well. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. No, actually, that's a more expensive book. The other two it books is. are a little cheaper. How much is the... It's like a, what, this $50 um, book or something? No. I think I think it's the same as Creative Block. I think it's twenty five US. I don't. Oh, I'm it, just kidding. You don't have to hardback, care. Is it paperback or hardback? Hard. Oh. I'm just I kidding. Don't, you don't. You don't have to carry it at all. Well, you know, I because I asked you about selling those first two books, and then I realized that Chronicle had this Warhol stuff, and that I could get your book at the same. Your books yeah, at the same. Yeah. So now that I haven't, I had took a while, but I had to set up an account with them. So now, and they, they don't have uh, a minimum number of things you have to buy. You just have to spend a certain amount of money. Right. Um, so th- for this Warhol order, I added those books onto it. So, so far, I'm not exactly like setting the world on fire selling this stuff. But um, I had to try it out to see what it would be like if I carried other books because I don't have that many. Yeah. Uh, well, um, I'm honored that, that I'm in there. Well, I, and I'm honored to be in the, please, I'm honored to be in the books. You know, I can like open them up and like refer to them because I'm always talking about that exercise of mine that's in creative block, which may be the, the groundwork for this teaching artist thing that I'm doing at Bethel yeah, Wood. People so, love that one. I use it all the time in workshops, especially with um, 
especially people who are really nervous, what, what the project is, I have it on my site if you guys want to go and look, but it's basically you take um, an image, any image you want, uh, it can be something that you did or it can be something you just photocopy and you do it a whole, like photocopy it a whole bunch of times, like up to 50. A, a drawing or a photograph, uh, it, it helps if it's uh, in black and white. Yeah, and then yeah. you have, what I, I don't know if you said this, but this is what I do. I set an egg timer and I only give myself an hour to alter like 30 of them or, you know, two hours to alter 50 of them or something and force myself, because otherwise I get all precious and then I start getting like, you know, oh, should I... Should I add more on this one? It's like, no, I don't have time. Go, go, go. And uh, the first time I did it, I did all 50 of them. And wow. um, and there was maybe 23 that I liked, and the rest were junk. And then I was like, oh, my God, I just made 23 things I like. I was like, I don't think I've ever made 23 things I like. And so well, I do it all so the time with people. Yeah, it's interesting because then you have um, a series. Yeah, you know, you've you've created this mini series, which is what the the well, the one I use is uh, my work is based on vintage paint by numbers. So I have this very simple, almost Japanese drawing of a, of eleven flowers in a vase, which yeah. is very flat. It has no dimension to it at all, and it's just flower stem vase and like the suggestion of a table, and um and I I've used that myself in a lot of different series. What I think I'm going to do with this Bethel, with with, with this um, new teaching part of it, is I've added another layer. So, and you may want to do this sometime too. So after you do those drawings, however many you do, 25 or 15, or then you, if you're doing it in a class setting, you kind of pick five that you like, and then you show those and you talk. The class kind of talks about them. Like I like that. I don't like that. This is going on. That's really good. And then you take a little break, and then you come back, and you and then you have to pick one. Oh boy! And then you take that one, and you have a bigger image of the same thing. That's maybe you know eleven by seventeen or eighteen by twenty-four or something, and you translate that one that you did bigger. Ooh, I like that. And then you hang those, then everybody finishes theirs, and you hang it up, and then you have cocktails, and everybody looks at it, and then you have a show. Well, that's fantastic. <laughs> you had me <laughs> at cocktails. So, so you've got a class, which turns into a finished piece, and an, and an art exhibit where you get to show your finished piece. Well, that's just uh, fabulous. It's fun, right? I haven't done it yet, but I think it'd be good. Well, and what a fun that you could just do that with a group of friends. Like, I... I Last time I was in LA, I got um, I did this uh, bad art night event, and I think we had space for thirty people, and I think we ended up with fifty. <laughs> and uh, I just had everyone bring all the crap supplies that they don't know why they have, like brown paint and old wool and wallpaper samples and stuff that you want to get out of your house, right? And then we just made the ugliest art we could possibly make, and there was wine and pizza and whatever. And then you've made the ugliest thing you can ever make in your life. So everything you make from now on is, like, better. And uh, it was so... And you accidentally, they accidentally probably made some good things trying to make something bad. Exactly. There was tons of great stuff. And there was, like, little nuggets of, ooh, this is too good. Uh, and then that, you know, you could take I that home. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could make it into something better another day. But um, the wine was key. Um, it was a huge group, and that was in L.A., and so I just came in, facilitated it, and left. But then I've heard through the grapevine that some of the women that – it was all women – that met at that group 
still get together and do these bad art nights. So you same with with your project. Like just get a bunch of friends together, do that, yeah. have your show, yeah. have your cocktails. Like how much fun is that? I yeah, I want to do it as a you know as a like an experience kind of uh, like paid class thing. Yeah. The other thing you can do too. Um, which actually kind of stems from my my late friend's work, um, Tim Rollins, who used to work with, uh, it was Tim Rollins and KOS, Kids of Survival, talking about somebody having a heart attack suddenly and dying, but that happened to him. Um, and But he um, used pages from books and many times a particular book. So he, it would be a Proust or it would be something in particular. And that would be the background, which would be plastered on canvas. And then he would work on these giant pieces with all of these kids, which at his memorial service, the kids of his kids were there. Oh, my um, God. He had been doing this so long. Um, we can put the link up, but his name is Tim Rollins. Um, he showed at Lehman Maupin. He was a major artist and it was a major loss that he died. But it, made me think of at the dump I found these two old encyclopedias uh, um, really beautiful old encyclopedias but that would be a great thing to do too for one of these classes is just cut you know if it's something you don't want or aren't going to use which is encyclopedias one of them right well, yeah. you could just cut all the pages out of it and then pass that out and have everybody work on these pages because once you have something on the page already, then you're layering something else onto it. It's not like staring at a blank page. Exactly. And you're already, yeah, so whether it's collage or watercolor or drawing, I tend to tell people to make these copies, if they're doing it, to do it on cardstock because then you can use head, more heavy-duty medium and glue and yeah. you know, other stuff like that too. And you can really, you know, you, you can use them a little bit more sturdily Whereas if it's just a piece of piece of bond paper, you know, yeah, it falls water, apart pretty quick. Kind of and, and and you can end up with some really like pieces that aren't going to get recycled. Like I, I, you know, like I had twenty three little cards that I still have in my studio that I love. Yeah, I mean, I make a piece that I sell in my my shop now, which is uh, five and a half by eight and a half on cardstock that flower print drawing, yeah. and it comes with a palette. Uh, on the back of it printed uh, 25 different ways to do it wrong and then it also comes with five envelopes so it's to me it's instant cocktail party you like sit down with your friends you make some cocktails you get the, all the supplies out color the things in and then send it to somebody I love it um, so and this then, is why you're my friend <laughs> is that why? <laughs> yep. Art and cocktails. I love I love the combo. Yep. Well, when I did the book party, you know, we did cocktail by number. I designed with it, we sponsored the the um cocktail by number. So you like had to pick a number drink that, you know, went with the mixer. There oh were specific colored drinks, like one was red, one was yellow, one was green, and it all mixed with vodka. Uh, which which I had a vodka sponsor. Uh, <laughs> that was in Miami, right? I did I did all over. Oh, okay, uh, okay. I did one in New York, uh, in Miami, in Austin. Um, I had one in Houston that I didn't end up doing, and there was one other one too. Um, but yeah, I like that. Uh, I mean, they people do it all over now, sip and paint or whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, but it's fun. Yeah, it's fun, but a lot of times it's like you're painting a crappy sunset or you're trying to <laughs> replicate somebody else's idea of something. And it, 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 you know, 
Talk about bad art. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I know. I did it with girlfriends of mine for my friend's 40th, and um, it, it, it's just so bad, right? And I was like, I don't want this in my house. So I painted right on the bottom of it, happy birthday. And I was like, here you go. And she was like, oh, great, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to deal with it. <laughs> now I have to. And she had the one that she did, and I was like, enjoy. And then I drove home. <laughs> Instant yard sale exactly. material. <laughs> um, anyway, Trey, I've had you on here for an hour and a half, so I should really let you... Oh, my God. Have we talked that long? Yeah. I didn't oh, think so. God. I just looked up. I thought, oh, we must be creeping up on like an hour now. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's an hour and a half. That's long. People, no one wants to listen to that long. Oh, everybody does. They're all work. Like, I bet right now you guys are all working away in your studios, aren't you? They're all nodding their heads. Yeah. So this isn't going... This isn't on your podcast live now, is it? No, no, no. Oh, okay. But so you, so when did so you have to do something? You're going to cut it down, and no, then I'm going to leave it all. Really? Yeah, it was all, all good right. stuff. All right. Well, well see, okay. when I, I I when I started the podcast, they were like half an hour little episodes, and then people just keep so they don't want they want them to be longer because they're in their studios and like who's in their studio for half an hour? Nobody. So That's then I started making them like 45 minutes and the people said longer. So then they're like an hour and the people are like longer. And anytime I do like one that's one fifteen hour and a half, then they're happy. Wow. And I don't want to make you, you guys mad. Really who had like too much coffee. <laughs> I know. It's good but, though. They, they love it. Um. So I'll send you, so you'll put this on the, um, jealous curator too. So I'll send you the little links to all the things we talked about in images. Yep. So, that it'll reference those things so that um, at least for the people who are looking at that, it'll make sense on. Yeah, yeah. I always put a great big post together, and I'll put in, I'll go and grab images from places, and you send me whatever you want to send me, and then, uh, yeah, this is actually going up this weekend. Already, oh, okay. so it's Tuesday now, so this will be up late Friday night. Um, I'm on my way to, well, when this plays, I will be in San Francisco um, for my book tour. Oh, right. So I'm doing San Francisco and then straight to L.A. Um, and so I'll be at Hashimoto Contemporary. Well, this... Oh, yeah. So this will come out Saturday morning. So tonight, which is really in five days from now. But Saturday night, I'll be at Hashimoto Contemporary um, doing um, a talk, actually from 2 till 4 p.m. And, um, and then the following week, I'm at Skylight Books in L.A. doing a talk. Then I get to come home, and then I'm back and forth to all sorts of different places. So, When are you going to come upstate? Well, here's the thing. Nobody in that corner of the world will pay for me to come out there, apparently. Well. And I can't mean, afford it, man. I can't, I can't be flying myself all over this freaking continent. So, Aren't you? How, do you have to fly to come here? Yeah. How far is it to, where, how far is it to drive? <laughs> it's like driving to L.A. Oh, you're on that side. Yes. <laughs> I keep forgetting. I think like, oh, Toronto's so close. Yeah, no. I used to live in Toronto. That would be a hop, skip, and a jump. But no, it would take me days to drive. Oh. It has to be the next time somebody brings you to New York, you've got to build in some time. Oh, I would love to. Then to come upstate. Um, and then we can do like a talk and a book signing. I and, would love uh, that. And we'll do a coloring. We'll do like an art project thing that we talked about. Wouldn't it be well, so we'll, fun? Yeah, we'll figure we'll figure out some kind of time to do all that. All right. I just need like a, an airline to sponsor me and just pay for me to fly all over the world. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, well, you can plug them. I like tried. Space. I've already tried. It doesn't work. 
Really? Yeah. Get up here. <laughs> and now, um, listen to me. I'm sick. I'm sorry. I just realized I, yeah, I've been, have I coughed at all? No, that was the first time. Okay, good. Didn't sound sick at all, but I better, I better let you go and like have some echinacea and like, and if you're going to have to like travel in the next couple of days, you I do know. not want to do that while you're sick. I know. I know. I'm trying to like sleep and be prepared and I want, I don't want to cough on anybody when they come and see me. Yeah, you definitely don't want to do that. No, I promise we'll, everyone I'll be healthy and then buy my book and I will sign it and I won't make you sick. Yeah, well, good good, good luck with it. Thank sounds, you. Sounds like fun. To, it's always fun to talk to you. Yeah, it's awesome. And yeah, two more times and you get the jacket. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I will talk to you soon. All right, talk to you soon. Okay, bye, thanks, Trey. Bye. Seriously, I could listen to him all day long. And how great were those project ideas at the end, right? The key, doing them with a group of fun friends and make sure that somebody brings wine and or vodka. (laughs) Thanks so much to Trey for hanging out with me again. Thank you to Sachi Art for supporting this episode again. (laughs) And don't forget to pop by the other art fair next weekend if you happen to be in Santa Monica. And of course, thanks to all of you for listening. Now, there won't actually be a podcast next weekend as I'm going to be traveling for my book tour. And since I've been sick for the past couple of weeks, I wasn't able to get my ducks in a row to have anything pre-recorded. Sorry. That said, I will be back the following weekend with more art for your ear. And I will see you then. Mm-hmm.